Well, good morning again. Um, it's a little different with the family prayer and then go right into the message, but that's how it is today. So, good morning. I'm Dave Daniels. Glad to be here this morning. Uh, I want to welcome all of you. I'm thankful to be able to look out and see smiling faces, and uh, I appreciate your being here. And I pray for visitors and members alike that you would uh, be blessed, and I pray for the live stream ministry. And I want to share it as my privilege to share uh, the Word of God today. It is my privilege. It's not something I take lightly. Um, and I want to share about the wonderful, we're going to look at Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38 in a moment, but the wonderful transitional and transformational message from God's Word to all of us. So I'm uh, just going to ask God's blessing. Lord, I pray for this time. Uh, Lord, I pray that I not rely upon any confidence or strength of my own, but Lord, we just sing. And I wanted to share that. Thank you for all those that have helped today in the music ministry setting uh, the wonders in, in Christ alone and Cornerstone and, and words of encouragement and the technical people that help so much and make these things come together. We pray that you'd bless uh, their efforts, that you'd bless uh, the ministries that, that you, uh, we've prayed for, and we pray that your word would go forth um, momentarily and find hearts that are good hearts that can be reached and encouraged and edified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look uh, in a moment and read Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. But I want to share, thinking back just a week ago, Troy was preaching, uh, I believe chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, just four thoughts with you this morning. And uh, the overall thought I want you to retain is how he preached on encouragement, how we are encouraging one another and to encourage one another. What a gift that is. But I also want you to think of the three other points just briefly. And as you uh, prepare for a message like this, you think, well, I'm following that. He also taught us several other things that, that there was a man named Eutychus. When Paul preached a long time, he fell asleep and fell down dead. First off, I can't guarantee, because last time I couldn't preach for five hours, but this time, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he preached a long time, and Eutychus fell down dead, but because he was God's apostle, he could heal him. I don't have that blessing, but I appreciate um, those thoughts that we can build on the Word of God consistently and look for God's Word for encouragement and blessing. Okay, if you'd put on the screen again, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38. This is the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, notice, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Notice the elders. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in both public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, 
not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, Paul said, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. That's a wonderful encouragement to all of us to finish the course. As you get older like me, you think about that more and more, that I might testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, pay attention, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And I'll just briefly interject that's a reference back to Ezekiel chapter 33 where the watchman on the wall is encouraged and, and implored to share if he saw danger coming to warn the people. Paul is saying exactly the same thing. I did not shrink or shun from warning you and I'm innocent from the blood of all men because I've been faithful by God's grace. I had to interject that there. Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. The purpose of being overseers is to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for how long? Three years. <laughs> I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone and I shed tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able, very important part, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. <laughs> I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Those are the words of Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38, and that's what we are going to preach on today. We look again, Lord, ask your blessing on it. We pray that your words would be lifted up and glorified. Okay. What I want to do today is share couple thoughts before we even get into the first three points. And one is, we're going to talk about something called providence in our first point. And it's interesting in the bulletin, if you didn't pick up on that, if you look at the blanks, you can basically just snatch the one, two, and three and fill those in. It made it pretty simple for you. So it is God's providence that leads the way to the pattern of church governance and that is expressive of the whole counsel of God. So that made it pretty easy to get those filled in 
okay? But I wanted to share a couple thoughts here this morning as we get going. Some of us are getting together and, and reading a book about the Trinity, delighting in the Trinity. And it's what I want you to ponder is it's a word that you could not easily say, turn to, you know, Philippians 3 and find the word Trinity. And yet, to delight in the Trinity and to know the love of God by the Trinitarian aspect of the Father drawing and the Son propitiating or dying and the Holy Spirit illuminating much more manifests God's glory. In the same fashion, then, providence is a word that you don't have to worry about deep theological baggage that you need to become a scholar. Actually, what we need to understand about providence is in the same way it's used in Scripture, and, and that's part of my point, is to show that it's very possible for us to not only see it, but to know it in our own lives, okay? To see it and know it. What is it? Okay. Um, we will look at that. First, I want to share a couple personal experiences from my own life. As a boy and even into adulthood, I was shown by my mother time and time again her pattern of living that she wanted me to know and learn from her. For example, her love for her two boys, her pattern of discipline that showed me so many ways how to live. She lived out those values and consistently and made a strong impression on me. I saw her boundless energy. <laughs> she was a dynamo. Her work ethic. She wanted me to get a good education like we do for our children, and a good job, and to be faithful. These and so many more values she wanted me to learn and not to make the mistakes and failures going ahead. You can almost read ahead on this. She saw what I needed, and she endeavored to pass these things along to me. And she was excellent in doing so and consistent. But there is a problem. Me. Mom could see, and she could try and encourage, and pray, and lead. And yet, she didn't have providence, did she? God not only sees, but provides. And that's why we need to learn to trust in God's providential care. I wanted you to see the illustration. We as parents and families do these things and try to raise our children and try to show but it's God's providence that works in our lives, and we need to see that point. Another thought that I wanted to share with you briefly before we get going is about, and this is a scary thought to me, not really, but 45 years ago as a young Christian believer, that's a long time ago, isn't it? I read a book called The Unseen Hand. Probably no one here has ever heard of it. But it dealt with government hidden actors and their ex exploits about bringing a radical government. So, okay, what's the point? There was meetings of Trilateral and, and Jekyll Island and all these things. What did I learn by reading The Unseen Hand? Several things, but one is we all like stories about hidden, unseen players in politics, in murder mysteries, movies, and so many other ways. We like that. How are we going to relate that to God's providence? Well, I hope that's exactly what I want to do. Today's message, we see that God's providence is transitional and transformative. Notice, in this story, God is the author, along with Luke, but the book is Acts, 
And the message is the whole counsel of the Word of God. We see it in our own lives in so many ways, and I shared with the other group, don't know how many of you are Jack Ryan fans, but I have to admit to it, Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy, my wife gets tired of saying, are you going to watch that again? I go, yeah. Jack Ryan, I like that. What do you see? You see an author, you see a main character, and you see a great suspense and an unknown what? Plot, right? An unseen hand you're looking at. I say to you, these things point to the real reality of providence. We love those things in books and in movies. We love it. Sharon has a, has a favorite um, Call of the Midwives on PBS. Any of you see that one about women caring for midwives back in England and London in the 1950s and 60s and so on and so forth and the care of babies before uh, there was so much help for mothers. Again, a story written, a drama, the players, and we see the act of providence. We see it in our everyday lives, and my point is we need to see it in the Word of God for all it is, and it's very evident in this section of Ephesians and promote the whole Word of God. Notice a little explanation of what providence is just to help us out. The word providence is from the Latin word, here you go, pro in behalf of, and vide, which means to see to it. Okay? On behalf of, to see to it. It is important for us to realize that God's providence then is the instrumentation of what we see in our message today. This sometimes unseen hand is so very visible if we are looking to see how the scriptures unfolded in history in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in all of our lives. Providence. Okay? Where do we see it biblically? I'm glad we're going to look at that. Let's look at the Old Testament. You don't need to turn there, but you can listen. You remember the story of Job? I think we went through that a while back. I'm going to give you just a little snapshot. We're going to show how God's, hopefully, providential hand worked out in this story. Many of us have at least a basic knowledge of the story. For roughly 37 chapters, this righteous man, who God called a righteous man, who loves, suffers over and over again through many trials and tribulations. He doesn't know of the subplot of Satan's plotting to show him only a worshiper because God is blessing him. You're only serving him because God's blessing. Hmm. How's this working out? Notice what happens. For 37 chapters, this poor man suffers and loses his family. He loses everything. Boils and sores and so on. But notice this. In chapter 9, Job wonders, how can a man be right with God? In chapter 23, Job says, my complaint is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I might know where to find him. <laughs> and fill my mouth with arguments. Job thinks he might be able to bring God into the court, maybe. <laughs> Chapter 31, Job asserts his integrity, yet notice, let the Almighty man answer me. Let God give me answers for why these things are being. You can do this on your own sometime. Look at chapters 38 through 41. Does God indeed answer Job for why I did this, that, and the other? Actually, <laughs> here's what he does. 
God doesn't give an explanation or even begin to why this or whatever happened. Instead, what does he say? Job, where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I told and laid the seas that they could go this far and no more? <laughs> where were you when I created the Le- Leviathan and the sea creatures? Where were you when I made the constellations of heaven? Interesting. Job suffered immensely. Oh, that I could see God, that I could argue with him face to face, that I might have my answers. <laughs> God doesn't answer the way Job thinks he's going to answer. But notice what happens. The obvious answer is, no, he doesn't answer, but Job was not there, nor can he have any authority over God's providence. And Job, in fact, repents in many, many ways. He knew before, he says, I lay my hand on my mouth. I am insignificant. And note this very important confession of Job. This is a paramount point. I have heard you before by the hearing of the ear. Okay. And he did know about God. And that was, if you read it, with the three helpers that couldn't help him at all, they had an understanding of God, but not the right one. They didn't understand God's providence at all. I have heard you before by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Boy, that sounds like providence. God, you displayed all your providence to me, and now I see that you created the heavens and the earth. You created everything. Certainly you can control my life, and I'm not the one to question you. So I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Wow, God's providential see to it in all things changed Job's understanding of God and his mysteries. So we see the unseen hand of God's providence today and always. That's the point of this message. We see it in Job. He had heard of it, but now he sees it by God's revelation of his providence. We could also look at Jonah. Uh, We've preached through Jonah, I believe, a while back as well. I'm just going to briefly touch on Jonah given a commission, the reluctant prophet is what I call him, sent to the Ninevites. How'd that work? Well, I think I'll get in a ship and flee to Tarshish. First off, he had nothing to do with it because he had a reason in his mind to hate those people. But notice the end of the story of Job. That's what I want you to get today. He's pouting, sitting under a tree. He does go, finally. God, I don't want to share the whole details of the whale and, and all that happened there. And he goes and he, he preaches not a very eloquent or hard message. Repent. In 40 days, God will destroy this place. And they all, 120,000 people who didn't know the right hand, the word of God says, from the left. In other words, they didn't understand God. They didn't understand who he is. What happens? They're saved. Jonah is he happy? He sits under a gourd and the gourd wilts in the, in the sun, the Palestinian sun, and Job pouts. <laughs> and God says to him, Jonah, do you do right? Interesting. Did you create the gourd? Do you cause it to live? You didn't create it. You didn't cause it to die either one. Can I not have compassion 
on 120,000 people who I created. You worry about a gourd, Jonah. I am providentially seeing to 120,000 people to change their life from the lowest to the king. That's providence, folks. That's providence and redemption. Transitional and transformational. We could also look at the book of Esther. Okay? Can't go, but I'll just briefly share the story. The Persian king. Okay? The Persian king, Ahasuerus. I don't think I'm pronouncing it quite right. Ahasuerus. I think that's better. He's not happy with the queen. He has a festival, and the queen doesn't do what he wants. And so then he says, we're going to put her down. We need a new queen. And lo and behold, of all the women he picks, he picks a woman named Esther, who happens to be Jewish. There's an underlying story involved in this. And there's a bad guy, just like in all these stories, huh? <laughs> like the stories we like, Clancy or whoever, Haman. And his mission, because he hates the Jews, is to kill all the Jews. He's working towards one side to kill all these Jews. Esther is in the position of the queen, but you couldn't come before the queen unless he put his scepter out to you. In Persia, if the king didn't put his scepter, I don't care who you were, going before him was a death sentence. And Esther knew that. And there is the, the story between Esther and Mordecai. Okay? She's endangered her life by approaching the king, yet she fasted, she knew it, she fasted and prayed and asked Mordecai to do the same. And notice she said, um, if I die, I die. I need to approach because Haman is going to kill all the Jews. And Mordecai said, you're a Jew as well. You probably won't escape either. Okay? But even if you do, all these people are going to die. And Mordecai says to her, your royal position, how do you know but what it wasn't for such a time as this that you were put in this position? Doesn't that sound a lot like providence? If your position where you are today is very important, my position being here, God providentially uses us, and we need to see. They rescued all of those Israelite people, and Haman ended up on the gallows. But the people of Israel were redeemed by the providential risking her life and trusting in God's providence of delivering his own people. Okay? We could also talk about another story, and there's so many of them. We could share briefly about Abraham. Abraham called to give up his son, Isaac, right? Mount Moriah? Can't imagine. None of us could. And yet God called him to do that. And when he takes him and puts him on the altar and wraps him up, and puts the wood on, and puts him on there, and is about to bring the knife down, what do we see? Anybody remember? God, what? Intercedes. We hear a ram in the thicket. God will provide himself an offering. Remember that? God will provide himself an offering. Boy, that's got tentacles to the New Testament in Jesus Christ. It's got tentacles to his story as well. God will provide what? providentially, a ram to be sacrificed. And I'm showing your love for me providentially for good. And think of what that meant in his life. How about Joseph and the story of Joseph and the people of Israel? 
briefly. You know that story. It goes on for chapters. He's sold out by his brothers from hatred and maybe favoritism. He's wrongly accused of sexual advance, advancement. Spends many years in prison and so many other dramatic events. But what happens? God takes what you brothers meant for evil, but God meant it to bring about the present result of the rescue of Israel as a nation and even to bring his brothers to repentance by the providential working of all those trials and struggles of his life. Joseph trusted in God's providential care and knew it experientially. And so should we. What about the New Testament? We could look at the book of Romans. You say that's a doctrinal book, and it is. Okay? And yet, you see in chapter 1, 2, and 3, the plight of mankind, lost, whether Jew or Gentile, all lost. And you see that the word of God, we're not to be ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You see in chapter 4 and 5, Abraham imputed with righteousness because he believed God and trusted God. You see in chapter 6 and 7, the picture and the illustration of dying. As many as us have been baptized into death have been baptized into death with Christ. So even as we believe in Christ, we're baptized into the death, even as resurrection, the picture. Chapter 8, what do you see in chapter 8? Chapter 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. The end of chapter 8, what do you see? There is therefore now no separation. Chapters 9 and 10 deal with what? The nation of Israel. Chapter 11 is where we're going. We finally got there. Chapter 11 says, after all that doctrine, and before chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which calls for us to do something, before that, notice in chapter 11, I don't have the verse written down if it's 33 or 36, where Paul says to us, for from him and through him and to him are all things for glory forever. Amen. After learning of all those truths, of seeing God's hand providentially and understanding salvation, what does Paul, by the Holy Spirit, want us to understand? That this is God's providential plan, that all that we have in our lives is from him and through him and to him. Whatever struggles, trials, problems, and failures we have in our lives are not beyond the scope of God's providence. And it's very interesting because the, the transition from that verse goes to chapter 12, and notice what it says. Understand, we call this theologians, not me, call it a doxology, a praise. It actually could be sung in a song. Okay, a praise of God for from him and through him and to him are all things. Who is first given to you? God. Who's given to God first and then God has to repay you? <laughs> That's a silly question. All comes from God. And then notice in chapter 12 what you see. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable spiritual service. And be not schemed, the Greek word is schematics, according to the course of the world, but be ye 
transformed by the renewing of your mind. I submit to you that understanding God's providence, being born again, is the way that we can understand what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in his providential hand. That is how we commit our lives as an acceptable sacrifice for God's glory. We can also look at Peter's in the, in the book of Acts, his message in verses 22 and, or 23 and 24. Jesus delivered up according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And it's a much longer message I'm just highlighting. You men of lawlessness killed and crucified, but it was God's plan and foreknowledge that providentially brought this to be. And what is the result after preaching that message? They were cut to the heart. They were brought to repentance. Sounds a lot like transition, transformation, and repentance. Okay? And 3,000 people were added to the church on that day. Amazing providence again shows transformation and redemption to his own church. But you say, okay, that's Old Testament and New Testament. We're 2,000 years beyond that. Hmm? A couple of verses to share with you. Hebrews 13, 8. One you might want to remember or look up. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ooh, wait a minute. And Jesus Christ is the, is the same Lord and Savior yesterday, today, and forever. And in case we don't understand the connection between Jesus Christ and and God, Colossians 1, 15 and on says, For by him all things, created in heaven and in earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things hold together <laughs> because of God. We see in John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus is God. Okay? Trinitarian aspect. And there is no change. Okay? So we can see God's providential hand, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, but forever. He will establish. Remember what Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As we look at God's amazing providence, it leads to the second point which is the pattern of church governance. The pattern of church governance. Okay, that's your second point. How does this work? Look at what Paul has done. He was preaching in the synagogues. He was an apostle. And now he's at the end of his course. We've read that earlier. His, his time in Ephesus is gone. His time of preaching in the synagogues is over. And what is he doing making sure that the elders in the local church understand something. What is that? That you are overseers of the church and that you are to feed, to guide, protect, and oversee the flock. That is exactly the pattern that you see in Acts chapter 2, and it is the pattern of Acts chapter 20. Okay? The, the verses that we shared today. This transition, providentially by God, is moved from the Old Testament economy 
and synagogue and the Jew to the church, the local church being set up by elders. And that is still providentially the way that God is working, which is why we preach, why we teach the word of God. But Paul, see this providentially, he was the apostle born out of due season. He was the one who was saved on the road to Damascus. He had a Jewish education. He had Roman citizenship. And providence so wonderfully lays out and transitions this guy from being a Jew and, and being faithful in synagogue preaching to one who was in the Ephesus for three years, who reasons, who encourages, who sheds tears for the Ephesians for three years. And he also, by God's grace, is the one who helps set up the pattern of the church ministry of elder leadership in the local church. Okay? He had also been, before God had prepared him providentially in Arabia, you can look it up, in Antioch and Tarsus for years before he met with them for this transition from going to apostolic preaching to the local church. He had been time and taught of these things. This setting up and transitioning of the church structure and the governance by elders preaching and teaching the local flock is the pattern that we are seeing throughout the ages. And the purposes in this is the building of the local church and sending out trained disciples to share the gospel with the Gentiles. That's what you see early in the book of Acts. Remember, the whole book of Acts is transitioning from the gospels to the establishment from the local church and the way it reaches out across Asia and then eventually across England and, and Europe and you know, America. You still see the same pattern. These are just some of the things that are spoken in chapter 20. Notice again, he says, I commend you to God, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance, inheritance amongst the sacrifice, sanctified, excuse me, an inheritance amongst the sanctified in chapter 20. Don't shrink from declaring the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God's word and Christ via the Holy Spirit. Put Ephesians 1, chapter 10 and 11 on the screen, please. As we're doing that, look what it says in Ephesians, what Paul wrote by the Spirit of God, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. A plan. <laughs> in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, okay, according to what? The purpose, <laughs> the plan, the see to it of all him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The very aspect of God's word is providentially played out through the local church governance of eldership and leaders preaching and teaching the word of God. And then thirdly, the third point is the whole counsel. The whole counsel of the word of God. What does that look like exactly? Okay, we've hopefully established a pattern. We've hopefully established providence. A providence that continues on and the pattern of why we preach and teach. But what is the point of that? I would share with you the whole counsel of the word of God in Acts 20, 28 is exactly the same as the whole breadth of the gospel. 
The whole purpose of the gospel is the whole counsel of God. Notice first the threefold aspect of elders and teachers' jobs. Okay? Number one, we are to preach the word in the body because there may be unsaved or young people or whoever or people come in who do not know of the transforming hand of God. So we preach the word that the power of God to reach and regenerate the unsaved or we have ministries that we do. We preach the word that they may yet be in the flock. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18 on the screen, please. For the word of the cross is folly. Actually, the Greek word is moronic. <laughs> to those who are perishing, continuing to perish. But to us who are continuing to be saved, it is the dunamis, the power of God. Why do we preach to the unsaved? How about Romans 1.16, please? Preaching to the unsaved. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the powerful providential hand of God to salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we preach the whole counsel of God by preaching to those that are not knowing Christ, which is why we preach Jesus in our message time after time. Secondly, we preach to the babes in Christ. We must preach and teach truth to the younger people, to the new Christians. Again, I shared with you 45 years ago, I was a very young Christian. I needed to get into a church and be fed and equipped by the Word of God. Why do we do that? That we might bring them through growth and sanctification leading onto the path of maturity. The whole counsel of God is to reach the lost. The whole counsel of God is to preach to the babes. Can you put 1 Corinthians 3, 12, or 3, 1 and 2 up, please? But brothers, I could not address you, Paul says to these Corinthians, as spiritual people, but you're yet people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not yet solid food, for you're not ready for it, and even now you're not yet ready. And also Hebrews 6, 12, please. And the author of Hebrews says that you might not continue to be sluggish, immature, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is why we preach to the young and why we encourage them, why we gather together, why there are studies. Why there, but we need to have our preaching convey both regeneration and sanctification and then thirdly, to the mature saints as well. What about them? Why do we preach and teach to them? To add depth by teaching and preaching more theology as a catalyst for growth onto maturity. So that we show the mature even, the process, younger people that are maturing through leading and guiding and feeding and shepherding the flock, the pattern of eventually bringing what? these maturing Christians into leadership because old guys like me one day are going to go to glory. Okay? But we are to help mature the Christian so that they are mature and notice why. So they're not carried about by every wind of doctrine. When trials and temptation and struggles come, and they will, believe me, in church and everywhere, what helps us Stay grounded and dis discipled better. It's knowing more about God's word. Amen. Okay? Okay. 
providence, the plan of governance in the local church, the whole counsel of the Word of God. After studying for hours on this, and I've rewritten, my wife helped me immensely on this message, I give her credit. But studying and writing and rewriting, I, uh, as our flesh is wont to be, I was apprehensive, and I get on my bike to go out and think for a while, right? And relax, try not to... I don't know about you guys, but when I preach, I'm up in the middle of the night and thinking and writing. And I know I rewrote it four times. Okay, the point is, I'm putting this, I like to listen to oldies because I'm an old guy, so, right? So I, I put up the channel on 105.7, I'm listening to this oldie. I think they have this part of it up on the screen because you can't play it. I wanted to play the song, but that's illegal. The Bee Gees, some of you don't even remember them. If I was a better singer, I'd do it real justice. But you think that I don't even mean a single word I say. It's only words, and words are all I have to take your heart away. What? I'm listening to that, and I'm going, wait a minute. Is this making me more nervous or helping me? And I thought, no. God's providentially showing me that by studying and trusting in him and relying upon his word and not my ability, I don't have to worry about words because it's not my words. It's his. It's his providence. It's his plan. It's his working. (laughs) Providence today. Okay? Very interesting. So, I want to just share in getting near the end, the closing thoughts. God's providence lays out and implements the pattern and proclamation of the word in a way that brings people to the Lord, that teaches them doctrine, and ultimately helps bring them to maturity. Remember that. Why are these things important? Because this providential hand, this unseen hand that we see so clearly in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in our lives if we're paying attention, is to bring doctrine, help bring people to the Lord and bring them to maturity. What a wondrous love this is that caused the Lord of bliss to providentially plan and seeing to it. Not just planning like my mother did for me or like we do for our children. They want to, but God brings it to fruition. We ought to really rejoice. Not leaving anything to chance. R.C. Sproul, you may have heard of him, says we cannot have a random molecule (laughs) because God is the God of order. Okay? The pattern is glorifying to him and the age is the long ministry of the true true church. In closing, I want to share one last providential thought. I get a magazine, Table Talk, once once a year maybe from R.C. Sproul's Ligonier Ministry. Okay, so what, you say? I say exactly the same. But here's what was on the first page. Again, I'm studying on preaching the whole counsel of the Word of God. Here, I'm going to read a little bit of what is said on the first page. R.C. Sproul started his huge ministry, I don't know how many of you even know about it, 50 years ago in Ligonier Valley Study. It was a study, a Bible study. What was the point of this? Okay, glad you asked. Dr. Sproul, pay attention please, was not only interested in reaching unbelievers with the gospel, hmm, this sounds familiar, but was also passionate about reaching profession, professing Christians with the gospel. 
But he didn't stop there. No, he wanted the mature Christians to be articulate about the gospel and to not only know it, but through theology and training that the whole counsel of God proclaimed would help us defend the entirety of our faith. What a providential thing that I get a magazine maybe once a year and the very article in there on the first page is exactly what I'm studying for and preparing for this message. His ministry grew. God's blessing was on it and continues to be because he honored God's providential plan and continues even though he went to home to the Lord. And I believe this is exactly what God wanted me to preach about today. Amazing grace. Remember, sharing this passage from Acts is to show God's providential pattern of church governance transition to the whole counsel of the Word of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people, their attentiveness. Lord, we ask your richest blessing on this as we have a closing song that you might be glorified in all that we think or do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.